Wow, this is great. We had Paul Bellini on. Bellini's. Uh, Does anyone call ago. him Bellini's? No, just you. Uh, a few days ago, and he, he is. How, how do we introduce a him for a force everyone? of nature to be reckoned with? There are Kids in the Hall fans out there, and if you are aware of Paul Bellini, then you are an uber Kids in the Hall fan. He is. He was the, what would you say? The, the guy in the towel named Bellini who would wander through the shot, and they would go, Bellini! And then they would do the contest with Bellini. It was a big deal when I was growing up. Yeah, it, it was. It was like almost the thing I remember the most about Kids in the Hall, actually. He kind of garnered himself his own fan club. He was kind yeah. of the sixth member, wouldn't you say? Well, because he was silent. You know, he, was, he didn't ever say anything, which was really interesting. That was like... You were like, what's on Bellini's mind? Turns out he was a writer on Kids in the Hall. You know, he's someone who's sort of uh, the sounding board for Scott Thompson. He's on the Scott Free podcast? On the Scott Free podcast. And I think even you personally. Know, in, personally, like in terms of Scott's writing and, and performance, you know, when, he bounces when, it off Bellini a lot. When I have seen you perform with Scott mm-hmm. at comedy nights on stage, uh-huh. Bellini's always in the crowd. Yeah. He's and. There. Yeah, and we spoke about Paul. If you go, if anybody listening out there, go back to uh, the Scott Thompson episode. I'm not sure what number it is, but we we talk about Paul Bellini, and Scott mentions him as well. And if you listen to the Scott Free podcast, Paul Bellini is there, and when he is not there, he is from as a listener for me as a fan of the Scott Free podcast. Uh, sorely missed whenever he's he's not on the on the episode. And I think Bellini's whole thing is just very interesting he's he's a writer you know he's a humorist he wrote a he put out a book he put out album like there's a lot of stuff that you find out in this interview even if you were a fan of kids in the hall and you know who publini is you're it's <laughs> there's things that you would only find out from this interview well to be so, to be to be honest i actually used the fact that he put out a book called the fab columns to reach out to him mm-hmm. And I did. I did through Facebook, and we had a back and forth for a while. And we, you and I, uh, wanted him on, and I, I threw it out there, and he was receptive to it. Just I just had to get back home from tour. And uh, while I was on tour, I was really looking forward to doing this podcast with Paul. So it was really great that he came down a few days ago, and we, uh, we banged this one out. It gets pretty highbrow, too. <laughs> it does, in yeah. a way. Yeah. I guess... Uh, you know, it's Paul Bellini. Yeah. So get ready for some highbrow stuff. <laughs> Can we also mention that the Fab Columns, Paul's book, yeah. is, uh, as he says it in the podcast, available on order. Check yeah, out Amazon, Amazon.com, not Amazon. 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 <laughs> Amazon.com, not Amazon.ca. Amazon.com. Yeah, and uh, it's called The Fab Columns. It's by Paul Bellini. It's a, a collection of his essays he wrote for Fab magazine. Fab magazine. A gay magazine. Yeah, and if you're in <laughs> Toronto, you can uh, also buy it at the Glad Day bookstore. A gay bookstore. Yeah, what's up with the snickering after you say the word gay? I, I, don't, I think I know that I'm being an idiot, but I'm not 100% how, <laughs> sure exactly how I'm being an idiot. Well, your connection with Paul is through stand-up, so this is part of the stand-up routine. Or, yeah, no. I'm trying. I, you Just know, the thread Paul's, of comedy. Paul's is. been very supportive of, of my comedy. Really yeah, nice. and honestly, when we had when we laid down the the podcast, and much like the Scott Thompson 
episode. Uh, when it was over, we all went for lunch, as yes. we are wont to do on this podcast. It's a pretty much a routine. No more Chipotle. No, we've moved on to uh, the Thai. Thai. Yeah. And so we uh, we took Paul out for Thai food, and we continued our discussion. Um, a lot of it could have been on the podcast. It was very interesting. Paul's an interesting guy, and um, it is an honor to have him on. And to have him on our podcast after Scott Thompson, um, could this be the unofficial Kids in the Hall podcast? I'd like to slowly involve everyone from the yeah. Kids in the Hall. yeah. Except if we have Dave Foley, let's just not talk about the divorce thing. Let's not talk about the infamous Damien Abraham, Dave Foley story. That Well, that's my story. Is that your yeah, story? Yeah, that's, that's my story. We can talk about that. Damien was the one who told it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I never saw him talk to Dave Foley once that night. I talked to... Well, I, oh. Yeah. Well, yeah Are come you on, starting Damien. something here? I'm starting something. All right. <laughs> um, I love you fucked up. I could see, give you tell sing all the lyrics to Generation right now. So here we go. Uh, this is the Paul Bellini podcast, and it's awesome. It's weird, you know, com- comedians, I think, so many of them just are, are so addicted to performing. Or... Aspiring comedians are so addicted to the idea that the more shows you do, the better you get. That they're doing five, seven, ten shows okay, a week. Okay, let me ask you, how many, yeah. how many times a, a week do you perform? Uh, I would say maybe three to probably six times. A week? Two to six, maybe. Uh, so like, you're kind of addicted to performing, Definitely, too, right? yeah. Okay. I bought into that. I bought into this ridiculous... I don't know if it's ridiculous, but I think that there can be constructive ways of doing that and non-constructive ways of doing that, yeah. you know? Um, and I, I think that there's a lot of people who are doing those seven days a week or five shows a week, but, like, four of those shows or all five of those shows will be, like, a show for all comedians, you know? Right. So, like, one of those rooms where it's, like, weirdly supportive... But that's not good necessarily, you know. And nobody gets paid a dime nobody to do any of it. That's what's really amazing, is that, um, like, I perform maybe two or three times a month, and I'm exhausted. But yeah. you know, I'm 53, and right. I- I'm new to this, right? I never did this before. Um, but stand-ups are crazy. Yeah. Every time you go, you, I mean, there's like what about seventy clubs or seventy rooms that you could play? Probably in Toronto. Yeah, probably. So that's a lot of circulating. When you say you're new to this, new to stand up? Well, I don't even consider it stand up. I always say it's hosting, right? Or monologuing. I don't like to use stand up because to me, stand ups are people who do, who are out every night of the week doing their set, and, and I, I just don't have the time or energy or ambition. How long have you been doing this for? Um. You know, I was never a performer, and then uh, when when Scott and I started to do stuff as kids, we had a rock band, so really my first performing was in a punk band. We had a band called Mouth Congress, which is atrocious, right. yes. but we were, we were at it for about six years. Um, then I started just really doing, you know, getting up and doing shows with the Flying Beaver opening two years ago, uh, and I tried doing one-man shows like very elaborate one hour, one hour, 15 minute shows. 
And it's tough to memorize that much material. It really is. And again, I have no acting chops. I've yeah. never taken an acting lesson or an improv lesson in my life. Um, so I only I only do this from having seen the greats do it. Right. Well, did you, uh, with like Scott's one-man shows and stuff, like were you like working with them on those? You yeah. Know? Usually we would write them together and workshop them. And I, I don't know if you could call what I did directing necessarily, but... Mm-hmm. I was the one who was always there holding his hand and going, that joke worked and that <laughs> joke doesn't. And I've seen you watch him. I've yeah. watched you watch him yeah. when he does his stand-up as well. And I've, actually, we spoke about that on when Scott was on this podcast, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're doing the, when you're doing the, the Scott Free podcast, yeah. what is your role? Because it's more than just what it seems to be, I feel. I think the model for that, to me, in my mind, is the Howard Stern radio show. Right. Right. And I feel like the Robin Quivers. Right. Which is, um, my role is to interject every now and then with something funny or to ask the question that's not being asked to get to the point. Because a lot of times, I think Scott, as a comedian, his mind goes around in circles. And Mm -hmm. what I'm thinking of is, why did this happen? Because I have that more of that journalist instinct where I need to have an answer for a question. Right. Um, but that was default. I mean, it just started with him and Jeff and they had me as a guest and it worked out nicely. And, and then Jeff thought, well, let's bring Paul back with other guests. So it ju- I just sort of fell into the role. Um, I mean, the problem I find with the podcast is you guys just don't upload enough episodes on a regular basis. And I know it's yeah. due to everybody's schedule. How many do you do? Well, I've actually, we, we've gone from once a month to two every two weeks, but now speaking with Damien uh, Abraham from from Fucked Up, he suggested once a week, and that's too much for me. So now I've compromised once every ten days. Yeah, I'm going to upload a new episode. It keeps everybody who's interested. See, I think Scott Free is like we have about 150 listeners. I think you have I think more. So, yeah. I think you have more. I've listened to more. 150. It's a good podcast. Good. I know. And that's the that's, other weird. That's thing. 150 people. That's how I feel about. That's things. a lot of people. That's yeah, a full yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm with you. Where when I hear a number that's over 30, <laughs> you know, I'm like, wow. So this I'm is always crazy. amazed that yeah. anyone listens to it. To be perfectly honest, you know, Mark Marin, he uploads a, a podcast. Two, two, three times a week. Yeah. But when I see a Scott Free podcast come through the wire, I really try and try and kind of squeeze out every little morsel you I can. To it slowly. Yeah. It's very slowly. <laughs> you know, I'll listen to it ten minutes at a time because I know the next one will probably be in a month and a half from now. Did you guys have experience with radio before? I I when I back in nineteen eighty eight, I spent a year as a volunteer at a gay radio station at CIUT, right. uh, which is University of Toronto. Mm-hmm, and sure. our show was called Gay Wire. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and it was 6.30 on a Thursday night. It was about an hour. And uh, we would do, like, community affairs right. and interviews. It was very earnest. You are listening to Gay Wire. Gay Wire. Gay yeah, Wire. It was like that, that kind of... And, you know, this is 88. Everything's yeah. weird back then. But... Um, I loved doing radio back then. I, I kept every episode. That's how excited mm-hmm. I was by it. And then nothing until Scott Free. Yeah. yeah. And and now I, I also host a show Sunday afternoons on Proud FM, 
which is a big commercial radio station. I didn't know that. And I bet you the Scott Free Podcast has actually more listeners than Proud FM. <laughs> But uh, Paul, yeah. you, uh, um, the way we got in touch with each other was through Facebook. I sent you a cold email, cold out, out, out of the blue, yeah. but not because of Scott Free, not because Scott had been on our podcast, but because you have this book that I was trying to track down called uh, The Fab Columns, yeah. right? I should have brought a copy. What, what is all that about? Well, you know, uh, up until next week... Because Fab Magazine has just folded. Mm. Uh, the publisher, Pink Triangle Press, uh, I guess, you know, what, print media is dead and all that bull. I don't know. Um, but uh, I've been writing for this magazine for 11 years. I've had a column. Mm-hmm. It's a bi-monthly. I've never missed an issue. So what is that, 26 times 11? 26. That's a lot of columns. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so what I did was to celebrate my 10th anniversary, no one else was doing anything about it. And I kept saying, I've been doing this for 10 years. And they would go, yeah, okay, that's nice. So I thought, fine, fuck you. I'm going to publish a compilation of my favorite columns. That's great. So I did. I went through the entire pile, and I, I ended up rewriting a lot of them, editing and rewriting a lot of them. But, you know, I... Did a lot over 11 years. I interviewed celebrities and covered weird events and met a lot of interesting people. So I thought, there's enough here for a book. That's what I did. And I self-published on Amazon. Uh, My ex-boyfriend had just published a book of poetry uh, on this thing called Create Space, which is a website that's on Amazon that allows you to upload uh, digital files. So... What What is interesting is that the only copies that exist are the ones that are actually ordered. There's no warehouse full of fab columns or anything like that. It's you literally buy one and they make one and send it to you. Wow, because I saw something on YouTube where you were reading it in front of an audience. Yeah, that was my launch last summer. And that book... From what I saw in the in the in the clip, looked pretty impressive. Looking like it looked, yeah. I, I I haven't held it in my hand, but is it does it look impressive? I is was it glossy? With it. Is it uh, uh, the the cover photo is me wearing a tuxedo, and it looks like I'm falling down drunk. And <laughs> those are pictures that were taken by oh god, what was the guy's name? Uh, a really good photographer whose name I can't remember. Sam something. Anyway. Um, he took these pictures of me in my mid-30s, and I figure, oh, I look mostly the same. Mm-hmm. So I use that for the cover, and I, I, I actually got a designer to okay. to do it because I wanted it to look real. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just because it's a self-published thing. It's like if, as long as it looks fine, I mean, yeah. that's the important thing. Because I've l- seen self-published books, and you could kind of tell the author designed it itself <laughs> right it looks like a photocopy yeah but um, it, at this point that's almost like it's it's almost like a good financial model to do something like that you'd think i'll tell you i didn't sell that many copies yeah, yeah. but it was enough to break even i mean my yeah. my expenses were very low on it yeah and it's it's out there it exists i mean people I can still out buy about it. it only because i listened to scott free podcast right yeah if i hadn't i would never have known about it and then i contacted you about it Kind of with, you know, the ulterior motive to get you on 
our <laughs> podcast as yeah, well. So, yeah. um, but you said that it was only available uh, through Amazon and the uh, well, Glad, Glad Day. Day. Glad Day, I know them, right? It's like they're buddies. So, and they're a block away from where I live. So, what I did is I brought a couple of copies on consignment, and they just sat in the shelves. I think there might still be one there. I gotta get my make my way down there. That, I, 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 but there's no actual distribution. It was self-published, so right. you know no one is doing anything other than me. And I'm kind of lazy. I'm, I'm the type that, like, I like making things, and then I, I can never promote them. Now you've worked with with directors before. Um, Scott did something with uh, Josh Levy, I think. Mm-hmm. Did you have something to do with that? Josh or was and that I, separate? Well, we're old buddies. I met Josh through Scott because they were dating back in uh, 95 and uh, the first thing Josh did was he offered to direct a rock video for me and I just put out a, a, my first album at the time I actually recorded two albums of original music believe Mouth it or not. Congress or uh, no under my own name no but way. a lot of them were Mouth Congress songs right okay and uh, I had a song called We Love Disco which I wrote in retaliation to all the people who hate disco <laughs> And it's just ridiculous. It's one of those name check songs where I name every disco artist. And it's kind of done like a rap. (laughs) It's cute, but it's long. It's five and a half minutes. So, uh, Good disco length. Yeah. I put it out and, um, you know, it was just independent release. And he said, let's make a video for it. So the first thing I did with Josh was shoot this rock video, which is very, very funny. It's somewhere on Vimeo. I'm not sure where. Yeah. Okay. So what are the names of your albums? The first one is called The Northland Zone, right. which is the very same name that Stomp and Tom Connors used for his first independent album, which was recorded in Timmins, by the way, which is where I'm from. Where are from? Whoa. So I wanted to honor Stomp and Tom, but I wanted to actually replicate the cover, you know. Okay. I thought it would be really cool, but everyone's going, no, it should be you in a towel, you in a towel, you know, because... Because they used to walk around in a towel on Kids in the Hall. Right. So I did that. Mm-hmm. And the second one is called Put Paul First, which was kind of like my statement. I mean, I always felt like um, a very accommodating person, kind of a doormat, basically, an enabler. And I had a friend who said, the problem with you is that you've got to put Paul first. And I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. So that's why I called the second record that. I thought it would be also a little reference on, don't just call me Bellini when you see me on the screen. <laughs> don't just yell, Bellini! No, I have like, no problem with that. Because <laughs> that was, I mean, the first like three years of, of when I would see you around, I'd be like, Bellini! Well, <laughs> like, honestly, head, of course. most people <laughs> rarely use my first name. Really? Yeah, all my friends always refer to me by my surname. Well, it's a nice last name. It's very musical. Yeah. Watch. Bellini. It is. Try it. Uh, yeah, I found He's right in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> <He's> feeling awkward. <laughs> Literally translates as little beauty. Aww. Oh. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> so Josh and I did this rock right. video for We Love Disco, and we had a great time. We actually got it played on... You know, remember Much Music? They actually played Indie, indie Street or yeah, one of those things. Yeah. So we actually got it on TV. It was so exciting. But, you know, because five and a half minutes, they're not going to play it more than once, right? right. Uh, then we shot another film uh, back in 90, no, 2002 or three, And it was, you know, in the early internet, there was people who would do like, uh, they put a cam, cams all over their apartment and walk around naked. Right. Like that Jenny Big Cam. Brother. Like, 
Yeah, it was the early versions of that. Yeah, I think Jenny, Jenny Cam. Cam. Right. And I think the guy was Sean Patrick Live or something. And it used to be like him, you know, and he'd come out of the shower and it's like, oh, my God, he's naked. You know, this kind of thing. So we had an idea that it would be a house full of cameras, like a Big Brother house. This is years before Big Brother. And one of the girls brings home a psycho who systematically kills everyone in the house. So the audience can see the killings, but the rest of them are busy going, ah, you know, this kind of thing. So we actually shot that. And uh, you know who was in it was Maestro, Maestro Fresh. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) He was really good in it. Um, And Darren Jones and um, Guillermo Diaz, who's now a big actor on, which TV show is he on? I think he's on Scandal, isn't he? I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, we had all these really good actors. Um, And we shot that. And that played on Movie Network. And it got like one star. (laughs) (laughs) So one of those things where you like click info or whatever on the thing. Yeah. It's like... It, what was the name of the, the movie again? It was, it's called Do You Like to Watch? Do You Like to Watch, you know. But, uh, uh, you know. I'm just happy that we made something that actually got shown. Yeah, somewhere. that's awesome. Who cares about the rating? Uh, you know, oh, Nina. Nina Arsenault is in it, too. Oh, really? At an early stage of her transition. Uh, so that was kind of funny. But uh, so we did, Josh and I did the two features. And the video. And then we did a TV show together called Locker Room, which was for the gay channel Pride Vision. And they wanted a sports show. But, of course, they had no money, typical of of cable stations. I thought, how do you do a sports show? How are we going to do, like, (laughs) current scores? You know, how how do you do that? So we ended up doing a show that's kind of like around about sports and a lot of with gay sports, which, believe it or not, there actually are a lot. There's more than just lesbian softball. Uh, and we did that for two seasons. And, you know, I was in charge of, like, comedy. So we created a character for me called Coach, Coach Fluff. And Coach Fluff was the coach of a senior girls basketball team. Right. And his way of coaching them would be to backcomb their hair. So, right. so I used to do all these Coach Fluff monologues, right? Um, and then after that, we basically, you know, stopped working together and... Now he's back, and he just made a short film with Scott called The Immigrant. Yeah, I and think that I won the big prize in Los Angeles. Right. And, you know, and now we're trying to develop a feature, and there's always a million plans. You know yeah. what it's yeah. like. Yeah. A million plans and no money. <laughs> yeah, lots of lots of maybes. Was a that, lot of Canadian showbiz. A lot of Canadian. Was that part of how um, you know Scott found his way back on NBC with Hannibal? Is that? Oh, I think that was just a fluke. I remember it was his birthday last year. Scott's birthday's in June, right? And he had an audition, and it was the same day as his birthday, and he lost his cell phone on the streetcar. And he came over and had one of those meltdowns in my yeah. living room. Yeah. I'm a fucking idiot. I lost it. Like this, right? Yeah. And screaming and retching on the floor and all this stuff. (laughs) And I think he was worried because he had some naughty pictures of himself on the cell phone. So that was his concern is that they would be leaked and show up on TMZ or something. Right. Good luck. But anyway, (laughs) um, that same day he had the audition. So he did the audition, didn't think anything of it, got a call back, didn't really think much of the call back. And the next thing you know, he's cast. Yeah. And it's like, what? You're going to be on a show again, finally? It's like, well, that's good news. Yeah. And then starting in September, he started shooting. 
That's great. And it's like a very well-received show from what I can see. Everyone seems to be talking about well, it on like it's Twitter a, feed. Well, it's a big show. which yeah. is And you know, it's funny because he was offered the Canadian version of Match Game around the same time. And, uh-huh. and I thought, what a choice. Small <laughs> Canadian show, blah, 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 that pays nothing. Or big American network show starring Lawrence Fishburne. Of course. Which, make your choice. Mm, I mean, you know. Yeah. And I heard the one, I heard the episode with... Uh, Lawrence Fishburne. It was really you could tell. There's good rapport on the set, and it's bleeding well, over know, to the podcast. The, the thing with Scott and Lawrence Fishburne is they're the same age, and they both spent a year in the Philippines. Yeah. Actually, longer because he was shooting oh, uh, Apocalypse oh, Now gosh, out there, and, and yeah. Scott was an exchange student. Went twice, so they had a lot initially in common. Right, like beyond acting and all that nonsense, they actually had life experiences that were similar. Right. That's that's really cool. I mean, I always thought it's you know I've I rewatched on Netflix all the Larry Sanders recently, yeah. and the, I was telling Scott this the last time I saw him, just like he kind of came in at this period of that show where it actually kicked it up a notch. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> um, which, which show? Larry Sanders show. Oh, he, I feel like that show improved. Thanks, Danko. Like dramatically, like like it, not necessarily. Like, because of his character being interesting, but it was like this perfect kind of combo. Well, it was an interesting thing because, you know, they had done three seasons and Gary Shandling broke up with Linda Doucette. Right. Yeah. The incredibly hot. The incredibly hot girl. And all of a sudden, it was like they needed another character to make Mm -hmm. up for it. And I think. Jeremy Piven was leaving at the same time. Yeah, he either left one season before or or or, around the same time. Yeah. So, uh, um, they brought Scott in, and you know, and and Gary really liked him. And yeah. of course, back then, you know, it was like we just finished Brain Candy, mm-hmm. so it was like it felt like everything was happening, like yeah. big right. stars. And yeah. Sanders was a good run. I actually went to a taping once, mm-hmm. which was um, not not the live part where they do the the Johnny Carson impersonation mm-hmm. desk, but um, just some footage they were shooting. And I was fascinated because the cameraman was on rollerblades. That's how they do those tracking shots down the hallways. Wow. I know. I That's just cool. Love that. Yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> I want to actually know more about this this day you went on set with, with to see Larry Sanders. Um, I spent a lot of time with Wally Langham. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Wally was really nice. Uh, Penny Johnson was very nice. Um, but she was, you know, she's Christian and a little, a little God bless you ish. Oh, she so <laughs> um, she, her character was Christian because no, she was actually her, her life. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, and I only, um, I don't remember if I actually met Rip Torn, but, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Hank. Oh, Jeffrey Tambor. Jeffrey Tambor was also very nice, and, and Shandling was nice. I mean, everyone was very nice, yeah. right? Yeah. They were the ones who were on set that day. I just feel like that show actually became like incredible for some, for some, at some point over the course of that. To me, like it was, it just got weird and and but not like it. It was it was it was both a meta comment on something, but it was actually kind of a standard sitcom in ways. You know, like mm-hmm. like a classic. Well, I'll tell you, you know, because when they CBC actually started airing a mm-hmm. Sanders. And they twinned it with Kids in the Hall. So all of a sudden, we were allowed to be more risque. We, we were, all of a sudden, we went from HBO to CBS Late Night. Mm-hmm. And we, a CBC uh, twinned us with, with the Sanders show. And of course, they said, fuck on the air. Yeah. 
So we immediately went to the CBC and said, well, you're allowing an American show to use that word. Why can't we use that word? So, of course, they started airing our show unbleeped. So the last two seasons of Kids in the Hall Mm -hmm. are not bleeped on CBC. And I remember the night that Scott and I were sitting around and we watched the first episode of Sanders and we just looked at each other and went, holy shit, what an amazing show. It was the Weed Whacker, the very first episode. Okay, yeah. Where he's forced to do uh, yeah, a live on air promos yeah. for a Weed Whacker. And it was mind blowing mm-hmm. to us. And, you know, three years later, he's on the show. <laughs> yeah, I know. What luck, you know? And uh, I mean, did, was Kids in the Hall while, while you were making it? I kind of am wondering about the, the sort of when you got to that. First of all, People say, oh, yeah, I'm really good at structuring questions. Yeah. I just want to break, break in there, just like commenting that there's nothing better than me trying to structure a question at 1130. This is what my, when I was You're breaking it up into a sweat. So I am breaking it into a sweat. I'm hoping I'll just have a heart attack in a second and be spared continuing talking. But, uh, get it out. No, just, just like getting to that point where you did manage to get more and more racy with with CBC. I just wonder what the if there how many battles there were with, within. Well, first of all, remember the the show from the very beginning was also on HBO. Right, right. So from the from the pilot stage. So HBO for 3 years aired our unbleeped episodes and then CBC would take a tamer version, but then we were on at 9 p.m. on CBC. Right? Mm-hmm. We were a primetime show. It's still primetime. Yeah. yeah. Um so the fact is there's unbleeped versions of, of every season, and those are the ones that I think that Broadway Video put out on the box sets. So those are the ones you get. Mm-hmm. The CBC versions, I have no idea if CBC even really will ever re-show the show. I don't think they've ever re-shown it. Anyway, I will it's get it to CBC. It's never been in, on repeats or anything? Uh, I don't think so. Do they so. do that? Not past the initial run. Like, would they do that for... That Who knows what they do at CBC? It's very confusing, say. isn't it? But I'll tell you, from from day one, I mean, obviously, Scott and I always had battles with Buddy Cole monologues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are you going to do? You, you pick and choose your battles. Yeah. Sometimes what we would do, we learned early on, if you want uh, to trick the network, sometimes you give them really dirty stuff that they have to reject, and everything else looks mild by comparison. Right. right. Those Buddy Cole ones, for the time, were pretty risque. They were pretty out there. You know what's depressing us now, though, is rebroadcasts on Comedy's channel. They bleep the word fag. They do. Yes. And we used it a lot. And we used it in an empowering way. Because to us, Buddy Cole was a fag. And that's what made him a kind of a supreme being in a way is that he wore this label very proudly, very defiantly. And now it's bleeped. You know, I think it's, um, no one wants to get into trouble on either side. It's all legal things, right? If you can say the F word, but I don't know if you can anymore. I mean, I think Canada has, seems like it's gone backwards in terms of backwards, you know, like the nineties, they were there was swearing and nudity on your cable on your yeah. non-cable on stations. non-cable yeah. yeah you know you turn on city tv at like 10 p.m. you know mm-hmm. and there'd be nudity and swearing and i'd be like Everybody's this is back paradise down. on earth yeah <laughs> i love this this is great and now it's like you know every it's like you said everyone's backed off and 
I guess people, what are you going to blame the Janet Jackson thing with nip, like her nipple? I really, I, don't know. I honestly, it's I don't confusing. know what it is. I think they they can't handle the uh, complaints. But you would think that everybody would, it would be more carte blanche because of the internet. Yeah, I was going to say, but maybe the internet is just the place now. They've just sort the of. Interplet is the wild, uh, yeah. internet is the wild west, right? It's, there's no laws. Yeah. Whereas I think broadcasters are absolutely uh, strapped down. I think that um, anytime someone lodges a complaint, like, like the person who lodged a complaint for uh, the Dire Straits song. Which is what only been around for thirty years, money for nothing. Oh, because the the use of the word fag and that, that just or, happened. Yeah, that like, was about two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but oh I remember God. it was I was I was stunned. Somebody actually uh, was a human rights commission or somewhere or it maybe was the broadcast the, standards CRTC CRTC. They actually lodged a complaint against a song that's been around yeah. for thirty years. How about Birth of a Nation? Then let's just the movie watch Birth it. of a Nation. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Birth of a Nation. Though you know, I finally watched it a couple it. Of years ago. Yeah. It is really racist. I have yeah. to say, it's it a is. great movie, but man, it's what you're I mean, watching. Boy, it's but, like a hero know, Ku Klux Klan thing, right? I know, like, and I've actually, I've actually defended it only because of the film techniques that were used. Well, and you have to take it into context. Yeah, it's, it's, the world is the same movie. thing, right? You have to like preface yeah. the a screening. Looking, but it's, yeah, you can't just look air it. The, you have the, to preface the, a screening. Birth of a Nation, though, depicts black people as completely yeah. out of control. Oh, There's this amazing <laughs> scene where they've all been elected because they're free. Uh, they've been elected and they're sitting around the Senate like eating chicken wings and they got their feet up and they're like throwing things at each other. If, I mean, when you see scenes like that, you go, what? This can't be true. Yeah. I, I mean, I, but it was shot in 1915. That well, that's right. just in the it. middle of World War One, and it, it was based on time. a based on a novel called The Klansman. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> going through going through film school and understanding it in the context, you know, at the time and everything, and not the 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 narrative, but the the film techniques that were used. It has to be yeah. seen in terms of you know historical I think value. So. I, agree. I agree, but I mean, I've had discussions with people about it. People can't believe that. I mean, I would agree that it can be. I I, I think that everything bad should be seen. <laughs> you know, I, like, I I think yeah. that that's better than, I than sweeping it under the rug. I I, I you know? hate when people let things like that get in the mm. way of their appreciation. That's what because I mean. I think that's you my have point. to put everything in context. Like, don't get carried away with racism. I guess is my message is that you have to watch a movie like Triumph of the Will or or Birth of a Nation. Exactly. Put it in a context. Exactly. It, there's no or point of Tiffany's. <laughs> Even that with Mickey Rooney <laughs> yeah. doing that weird Asian character that makes Actually, you wince. I haven't what, watched it. What historical of value does that have? The thing that killed the what does his impression have historically? Like the historical fact that he value. got away with it. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I mostly don't watch that just because they changed it from the book. There was no Asian next door neighbor in the book, <laughs> which was perfectly fine. Oh, you're a stickler. I'm, yeah, which I kind of feel, I mean, there's so many, I'm such a snoot, like, for no reason. Yeah. I, it's like... Oh, I'm sorry. They changed it. No, oh, I won't watch this. I'm too good for that's a, a you? Mickey Rooney. That's my impression of me. But I mean, guys. honestly, to me, like bleeping the word "fag" from a kids in the hall skit is kind of like censoring 
birth of a nation. It's like mm-hmm. cutting out all the parts that you don't find tasteful. Yeah. And I, I so really you're saying object Buddy Cole to that. is kind of like a birth of the nation level. Well, but, I guess, you know, yeah, in a way, Buddy, Buddy was an early gay stereotype yeah, a to a deal. lot of people. I mean, mm-hmm. the thing is, we, we were very careful with that character. It was based on an effeminate guy that we knew. Mm-hmm. So we, the character had to be effeminate. But he also is strong and strong-willed and mm-hmm. totally an alpha male. He's he's a bully in a way. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? He's very strong. He doesn't take any guff from anybody. But those little character nuances don't matter as much as word usage. Instead of a writer, I wish I had become a bleeper. I, I'd still be working. <laughs> like a, yeah, you'd have more power. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The stand-up stage. To me, it has to be a sacred space. It it has Mm -hmm. to be a place where any comedian can get up and do the most horrible, vile material and still not be censored. I I mean, I do do agree with you uh, in that... I think that you should just be able to go up there and say whatever. But right. you but the do, audience censors you. The audience is sort of your but that's judge. Fine. And also I think that if you say if I'm if you're booking a show yeah. at, at the Fine Beaver and You might not want a certain command like somebody who's gonna come in and do a lot of mean dyke jokes. If it's not funny. It's not gonna play in that funny. room. I mean if they if they, I, I had one of my best experiences when I was very young at like a gay bar or a lesbian bar in Toronto and it was I was being really the sort of you remember, like, just like... Was uh, I with you? No, not for this one. I, I don't... Yeah, I was you were. With you. It was a Slack Alice. Yes, I think it I was, was. It was the best. And it was, I was doing all this really <laughs> ridiculous st- jokes that, you know, when you're young, it's like, I guess you like being really offensive. That's, like, the most simple, yeah, important power. thing. Yeah, power. Yeah, it is. And uh, I was doing this whole... A lot of gay jokes, for sure. And because I thought it was ridiculous, it's like the funniest thing you could ever do to me was like go into a gay bar and just do like <laughs> a bunch of jokes that are like insulting. Yeah. Like they're like, why are you here? Yeah. You know. So I was doing. I had. I, I remember the two of us before you had to get up on stage. We were both very. I was very nervous for you. Because <laughs> at that time I was actually writing sets that were tailored to like every show I was doing. You know, I didn't right. really realize that you could just sort of recycle through stuff and almost that would make improve that material I was like you have to write new things for every show so I was like I closed I go I go, well, you know, before I leave, uh, you, you're all a bunch of lesbians here, so and you've never you've never seen a man before, so I guess what I'm wondering is how wet are your pussies right now? <laughs> and then this lady in the crowd just goes bone dry, <laughs> and it was like, well, was lesbians are the best hecklers. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. It's like instead of you know, it was one of those things oh, where like it was actually a funny moment and. She, her sort of commenting on it made it the best. So I don't even remember how I got there. But so I mean, like you can be edgy and and or not, you know like take chances in places. It's just that the whole idea of taking chances, it's all been thrown on its side. I think like yeah, like, you know. I, I mean, yes, I was like a twenty-two-year-old trying to tell jokes, jokes about cancer and AIDS or whatever, and you know, and it's like, and it was the jokes were okay, but it's like at some point. Seeing you know, like eight 23 year old guys like making rape, like all rape jokes in yeah. a row, you're kind of like, okay, 
I get it. Maybe maybe we should ban this for a bit. Like the day after the Oscars, there was all these people starting campaigns against Seth MacFarlane, and oh, I just yeah. thought, you know what? There I, was? I, for what? If you Show if, us your boobies. Uh, offended by comedy. Jesus. I don't want to be your friend. Yeah, and I exactly. actually unfriend people who are uh, who are uh, offended by comedy. Exactly. Like but I'm sick of everybody being offended by everything. The thing is, it's selected offended, selective offended. It really it's, is. It's, it's like, yeah. I, I, I think every comedian really runs the risk of stepping on a toe. Mm-hmm. And have the next day, big Facebook campaign. Tracy Morgan, too. Oh, like yeah. Like Tracy yes. Morgan recently. Like, he's yes. been saying the craziest stuff in the world for 20, you know, almost 20 yeah. years now. And it's like, okay, yeah, he says this crazy thing. And it's, it's, but in don't the, you it's find about. A lot of times, it's the joke is taken out of context. Mm-hmm. And it's when it's isolated, it does look terrible. Of course. And that's what I resent. Yeah. Is taking things out of context. Like, a joke is meant to be said. When you see it written down, yeah. it just lies flat, yeah. right? Well, th- that's why joke books never took off. Well, they, <laughs> but, they, but they did. <laughs> like jo- and, that's, and it's like suddenly they're applying joke book logic to, like, this stuff that's a bunch of people watching a person. And the only time comedy is really, stand-up comedy is really working is when the crowd sinks with the performer and is like, okay, you can almost say anything yeah. and I'll get it, you know? And, 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 and there's, you know, the other problem is there's too many hot button words. Yeah. I got in trouble at the Flying Beaver one night for using the word tranny. Which is a great word. I know, but now it's trans person, right? Which is fine. And I have a lot of respect for trans people, but I was using it to discuss the evolution of language, how the word tranny has become now like midget. It's become an offensive word. That's and, even more... And two years ago, no one cared about these words. And all of a sudden now, you get jumped on. So you can't and I actually them. got jumped on for it. So you, you, they were actually proving your point. Sadly, yes. That's horrible. I'm trying to think of, of words. I don't know. I, I feel like I've, I've actually somehow avoided a lot of getting in trouble. For I find stuff. douche covers a lot. Douche. You don't get in trouble when you say douche. Oh, wait. Just wait. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, douche, douche could get you in trouble for sure because it's sort of like equating the female body with... Well, uh, men can douche. <laughs> well, tell me yes. about that. Tell me a little bit about that. Shall I? I? Shall I get into this? with a bidet? I know it's Anal French. sex 101. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah, that's, you've got to do, do that. Is that. Does right? that require a bidet of some sort? or No. Just, <laughs> just one of those little nozzle things you get at the pharmacy. Sometimes not that little, right? Okay. Sometimes massive. All right. Now I want to kind of just get into uh, lay out gay sex for me this morning. <laughs> <sighs> Where do I begin? I'm confused at what I'm supposed to be offended by. Twitter is like every second it's like a comedian is like, uh, oh, this person's dumb for saying this. Or yeah. and then normal and people Godfrey. start getting, yeah, you know, and yeah, you're only you know one tweet away from getting your career. I sacked. guess what it does is it it drives good comedy underground, which is fine. I'm, I'm happy with thing. that yeah. because then it's for the people who really love it and need it. We'll find it. Yeah. 
But how do you survive I as don't that know. comedian? I don't know. know. <laughs> right, that's where it comes down Clubs to. Clubs that pay nothing, right? Clubs that pay nothing. I mean, if I didn't have other stuff going on, I would I would not. I mean, I, I would, I like, comedy is like, I'd love for it to be my, my day job, but it's like, I have no idea the stand-up. I have no idea how to, I could yeah. do it in Canada. Yeah. You know. Well, there's, as I tell all my students, I, I teach at Second City now. I teach writing programs right. at Second yeah. City. Oh, that's great. And, um. I'm always telling them there are no sketch comedy shows in Canada left. And they go, what about? And I go, well, that's been out of production for two years. And yeah. how about, no, that's actually from the States. They're all one season shows in Canada. Yeah. You know, sketch. yeah. And, and, and sketches, sketch is very, very difficult. Sketch wasn't happening and then in Canada. Well, it seems like yeah. most of the satire is coming from fake news shows. Yeah. Daily Show and Mercer Report and Colbert. 22, which has been on for almost 22 years. Yeah. Um, and you used to write for that, right? I did four seasons of 22, yeah. A lot of my friends are on it uh, these days, and it seems, uh, I've always, it seems like an interesting show, and it seems like the most difficult thing to actually bury your head in Canadian politics and yeah. make it funny. But you know, here's the thing the, the fake news shows, they have no replay value. Whereas yeah. I can mm. still watch an episode of Kids in the Hall on Netflix and right. go, holy cow, that's brilliant. Or Larry Not because I had anything to do with it, but because it actually is. Yeah. Mr. Uh, show is the same thing. Yeah, we made a show it. for the ages. Yeah. And uh, and now almost none of us are working. I mean, it really is a <laughs> mean world, you know? And, you know, sometimes I look at my own career, which has had incredible ups and downs, like a roller coaster. And I'm still at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, barely, but I haven't, you know, I haven't folded yet necessarily. And, yeah. and most of the comedians of my generation are still at it. So we find a way to survive and we find a way to do our thing, right? That feels like such a wrap up. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I almost can hear music swelling behind me like it's a big speech. <laughs>